This is Magic City Soccer. Es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. Let's go, Miami FC. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Vamos, Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer, bitches. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer, your home for everything you need to know about soccer in Dade County and beyond. Well, friends, yeah, the two guys that don't normally record podcasts anymore, <laughs> we're back. Yeah, we're still around. This thing is working, right? You can hear us. I think it's here. I mean, I don't know. Is it? Yeah, it's, it sounds like it's working. All right, it's Omar Mubayat if you haven't guessed it yet. Yep, it's been a long time since I've been on this podcast, and I've been on other podcasts, which is really kind of odd. Not on my home podcast, you would think. It's kind of weird, right? And I'm joined alongside with the other one who flies under the radar, Abel Iraola. What's up, Omar? What's up, Abel? We're here in the studio, which we don't do often. No, we don't uh, We do not do this very often. The studio being your kitchen counter. We're but, recording you know, we on one mic. We don't we do don't, this. We don't meet up in person very often to do these podcasts. So it's, no, it's, it's cool to uh, it's very rare. And see every, each other's faces while we're trying to do this. And every time I tell people we should do this on Skype with like video or like... You know, have some kind of video to judge body language, I get met with a resounding no. So I don't know if it's Matt or I don't know if it's Drew or I don't know if it's Lee who don't want to be on camera all the time. But, um, you know, boys, like, let, let, let's let's get on camera. We're, we're officially changing our name to Magic City Soccer 2. We are, we're now the 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 USL reserves of uh, of Magic City Soccer. What's the name? What, what's the tagline for Fort Lauderdale? Does Fort, what is it? Uh, doesn't Fort Lauderdale have something like Always Sunny? Isn't that their, like, like their convention Do bureau thing? Do they have thing? A, a city one? Actually, yeah. I don't know what well, it is. I don't know what it is, but I know that their tagline <laughs> for, like, like their convention bureau is, like, Always Sunny. And it's, like, Greater Fort Lauderdale or something like that. It's called yeah. Always Sunny. So maybe we should just call it Always Sunny Soccer. Yeah, that's not... Well, no, it's not know. the same. Always Sunny Soccer? No, that's kind of weird. That's, well, that's it's fine it's... because it sounds like the shittier alter- alternative, which is good because we are the Fort Lauderdale CF of our podcast. Imagine so. being Fort Lauderdale CF <laughs> and then being and playing in Fort Lauderdale and not being the premier club in your own space. That's kind of weird. So... <laughs> we're gonna let that one say. All right, so we're gonna get into all. Of let's this, get though. into all of this tonight. We're gonna go ahead and get started. We're gonna talk a few things. We've got a guest coming on later at the end of the show uh, to talk about a lot of the crazy stuff going on in lower league soccer right now um, here in South Florida. And if you've been following us on social media, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. But the big one, the guys didn't get to it Wednesday night, so we're gonna get to it now. <laughs> Sucks to be you three, right? It's the Inner Miami kit that's come out, right? It was released. It was it was released Thursday night. No, sorry, Wednesday night, if mm-hmm. I wasn't mistaken, around eight thirty p.m. And it's our first look, encompassing look, not just little hints and teasers of the corners of the shirt, uh, as to what to expect from the away kit. And my first opinion was, it's missing something. Abel, what, what was yours? Yeah, it looks kind of basic. You know, it's. So you look at them. There's they, really they've only released one officially. So they released the the black one, which is the away kit, and it's just black with like the the pink accents on on the logo and and the stripes. And the first thing you notice, I think, is that it looks, and a lot of people have commented that it looks kind of empty without the shirt sponsor on it. Um, which obviously we don't know who that's going to be yet. 
Uh, and we we haven't officially seen the other shirt, but it's going to be a white shirt, right? I right. think it's been leaked. Um, and I th- what people have been liking so far is really, I think people expected like a pink shirt. And there's that pink training kit out there, yeah. you know, that you can get already from, from Inter-Miami. And I have a feeling we're going to see a lot of people wearing that pink kit. Because if I'm being honest, it looks... The black one is not nice, but yeah, it's a little plain. It is a little plain, but here's the thing, right? It, it's plain in certain details, but it doesn't lack like sophistication, right? So I look at the black shirt, and the first thing that pops out to me is you have the dual cranes or the herons. I've forgotten already. You see how long it's been since I've done a podcast? I don't remember what the name of the bird is. Isn't it an egret? Is that what we settled on? It's a heron. There, it's, it's a heron. heron. Okay, perfect, right? So you got the dual herons there with the legs crossing to form the M, and that's put into the shirt very very like subliminally right hit those in the little background. designs of uh, and it's fantastic it's, yeah it does this look is nice one of the most fucking greatest details i've ever seen on a soccer kit this is so good it's so freaking good right but and here's and and before i get into where the three stripes are located on the adidas shirt because that grinds my gears a little bit i don't like the fact that the club went with the entire circle insignia. Yeah, so that was something that I had that I had tweeted about, and I think it's what you were going to say, which is, so obviously the logo is the two herons, and then Miami over it, and then the full name of the club. And a couple of people have commented, and I was having this conversation with someone that they should have just gone with the simpler crest, right? Like if you just go with the two herons and the Miami over it, it's simple, it's nice, it looks like, it just looks too busy with, with the entire long name of the club. I agree with that, I agree with that. And, and But you know what I started noticing last night? I was taking a look at the shirt again, um, and I was, I was about to pull the trigger on it, to be honest with you, because there's 20% off our World Soccer Shop. Yo, World Soccer Shop! Sponsor us, right? We're giving it a heads up, right? You can get the shirt. If you are if you don't wear big boy sizes like me, right, and you're a 2XL or less, you can actually get this shirt now for 20% off. You go to their main page. I believe that there's a promo code on there that you can use. Um, and I think it, it actually does work, right? So the one thing I was noticing when I was in class and I was talking to some other people is my, my honest opinion is the reason why they went with the circle and not just the shield is if you pull up the Miami FC logo, right, it is a shield. It is that same exact design in terms of what a shield looks like, right? Flat at the top, curves down to the mm-hmm. bottom, looks like your traditional old school shield. It's the same thing on the inside. So maybe the thought was, well, we, we can't put out the same shape, can we? Like, do, do you think there's any credence in that or no? I don't think so. I wonder if you look at, and, and now I'm struggling to think of them, so I'm looking them up. But if you look at MLS logos, there are some that are that crest size, but there's a lot of them that are also round. And I think they probably consider that to look um, maybe nicer for some reason on, on the kits. Although I don't, you know, like you look like you're wearing, as we're talking, Omar's wearing a Manchester United kit. And... It's not a circle, right? But it, it's right. round, right? Because right? it looks nice. And even if you look at like the MLS, the base logo that they use, you know, that same the shield, the right. shield exactly. that, that you change the color for every club, it looks the same way. So I I don't know why they went with that. It looks a little. It's like the kit is too simple, and then the crest has too much. Too much. <laughs> no, no, no. You're right. And it's weird because like 
part of me thinks then over time that this is gonna that that'll work itself out right like you have the counterbalance of too simple and then too busy and then somehow when you look at it you know over the next couple weeks you're like wait no i don't have a problem with this anymore like what was i saying a few weeks back right but the one thing that i and i get that this is a league-wide move i get what adidas is doing right they're trying to freshen it up so we're not running the exact same shirt every year the three stripes on the shoulder though that to me is it's it's odd. It it, it it to me it comes a little odd. It it it's not indicative of soccer. It's indicative of another sport. I can't put my finger on it, but like this is not something I expect to see on a soccer kid. Right. I don't I don't mind it as much. I don't mind it as much just because looking at the shirt, if you didn't have those stripes there, then it would be truly a like way too simple of a shirt, right? It'd just be a, a black shirt basically. So I can understand why other MLS fans had a problem with it. They were also... So actually, so anyone who's interested in this kind of stuff, how the kits work, there was a super interesting story this week from uh, Pablo Pablo Maurer at MLSist on uh, Twitter, which I'm sure a lot of people follow for The Athletic. He wrote a story that looks into like the whole background of, of how MLS does these shirt designs. And a lot of them, like uh, the, this current crop that just came out for like the league's 25th anniversary, which is why they all look so similar, they started designing, I think he said in the article, in like March of 2018. Wow. And what teams do is they, it's basically up to them whether or not they want to design their own shirt or leave it up to FIFA or they do like, they'll do like a vision board or a mood board or it's basically up to them to to send to Adidas what what they want their shirt to communicate or what they want it to look like um but then it fits into the mold though right are they are you trying to say that according to this report you can design whatever shirt you want and adidas will make it for you yes well i'll, I'll let people you know it's a long article so people can can read it the, the gist of it is that the teams according to adidas are free to submit their own designs and the elements that they want what happens with a lot of these teams is they don't have like high level graphic designers or they don't have designers that they put their trust in and so they just leave it up to adidas and if you just leave it up to adidas then yeah you're going to get the you, you get the basic right you're going to get the tried basically. and true kit exactly and so and i think that's part of what happened with uh miami is you can imagine if some of these other ones like some of the more standout ones that people have seen like maybe like you know portland and and mm-hmm. there there's some nice kits in in, in this set Maybe they had some more input because, again, started designing these in March 2018 and Inter-Miami really just came in. So it's not knowing how that process works after having read that article in The Athletic. It doesn't surprise me that we ended up with uh, such a simple kit. But I think if you look at the fan response to the releases, there's been a little bit of pushback that they are kind of too simple that people want to know the kit sponsor um i think people are really curious to find out if the sponsor is who they say it might be which is which is qatar and that's a, a whole other um subject but yeah i think the shirt is nice the white one is gonna be you know it remains to be seen we've seen the leaked and and to me it doesn't seem anything that extraordinary i think probably the nicest shirt is the training top um and i have a feeling that we're going to see a lot of people at new lockhart stadium in in that pink top 
I want to get into two more things about this shirt before we go ahead and move on. The first one is for the first season. They're having that inaugural patch down on the lower yeah. left-hand side. Which is, if you're like a shirt collector, you're really into kits, like that's going to be something that you really want. And what would be really nice to see is, and I'm not mistaken, I don't know, Don't please somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but... MLS for a long time went with the dual patches, right? They went with the MLS bars on on both sleeves, and then they went for a time with the MLS bar on one sleeve, and then the you know the US flag on the other. So right now I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's double bar, I don't know if it's double shield or if it's US flag and shield or or, or what. So, but it'd be really nice if like Inter Miami somehow got approval to put obviously the league patch on one sleeve and then put like an inaugural special edition patch mm-hmm. on the other, right? Make it even more collectors. You know, you're going to be able to bring in more revenue if you're the club, but also make a quick distinction of this is the first year shirt, right? Even run a limited batch of it per se and then make it even highly more desired. The second thing about it that, and this one is, is I don't know how I'm going to feel about this, but I'm actually kind of concerned about the collar because when I look at the collar of the shirt and especially when you look at what MLS put out, right, and you look at the first two Academy kids, um, I believe these were the first two kids signed. That's why they're on this photo, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, that collar's thick, man. That that's a nod to like the old school. That's like, what it was supposed premi- to be. Is yeah, that what it is? Okay. Well, no, it's a it's a, so it's a throwback to like well old MLS style. It um, looks even older. Jersey. Like I like this yeah, collar is part what, of a, their twenty five year celebration. Okay, because to me, yeah. I look at this collar and I think like early nineties Premier League yeah. when you're watching the videos and everything is super baggy and you have these massive collars on because it's not like a polo collar that folds out. No, like it, it is. It is like a ribbed collar that runs around in. It's it's like a weird. Would you call this a modified V neck? Like how yeah, this? it's basically a V neck. Right, it's a modified V neck because it's not it's not deep. It's not very profound. Right. But the material is like super, it's cut super thick. It's cut far away from the neckline, which makes it interesting to me. And then it looks like the back of the kit, at least the authentic model, uh, looks like it is, um, what's, I, I want to it's not pilfered. That's not the right word, right? When you've got the holes, it's got that meshy like, style. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? It's punctured, so for it's breathability like, and whatnot. Right. And, and honestly, if you're going to buy the black kit, you're more than likely going to want that extra breathability because summer in Miami is hot as balls. So, yeah. And and we have two seasons here, right? Like we have summer and hell, and we're approaching the months of hell coming up. Anyway. And it's not very covered, New Lockhart Stadium. <laughs> well, I mean, see, that's another thing, right? So, so like, you're gonna uh, burn and get toasted. Yeah, we're gonna have some. Uh, that's funny. That, I, that's a whole other thing too, which I think we haven't we haven't gotten too much into the new uh, stadium, which they're working on and is pretty much finalized. I have a feeling that in an upcoming podcast. We'll talk about the stadium and uh, maybe even take a trip up there and take a look at it ourselves. It's pretty much done. Um, but yeah, it's not... It's covered on on both sides. The ends are not covered. Right. But um, obviously it's going to be hot and we're going to get a lot of sun. Oh, and then... And, and, you know, if there's any MLS fans out there from South Florida or like or from outside of South Florida or lower league fans uh, who follow us... MLS is going to be reintroduced to the the thunder lightning delays. Oh, <laughs> shit. Well, oh. I'm curious to see if, if we have any of those, like, I'm 9, not... 10 p.m. kickoffs in MLS. Well, to me, I, I think what's going to push the 9, 10 o'clock kickoffs are what we, get, what we saw on the West Coast last year, where 
I'm not sure if this is going to be a natural grass playing field or if they've opted for turf. I want to say it's grass. I'm assuming, I believe it's grass. Right. Yeah, but yeah. even then, if the soil becomes above a certain temperature, you can't play on right. it. Right? So you have to let it go by. I know it's a rule for turf. I'm pretty sure it's a rule for grass as well. Because, you know, eventually, like, you, you're playing on hot coal, for, for lack of better words. Right? You're stepping on coal as you're playing. That's usually going to be not so well. And with the temperatures, especially in July and August, they've got to be later kickoffs. Because if the sun's out, it's going to be, you know, 95 degrees plus and, and, and humid. At least right. 70, 70% humidity, if not higher. It's, and to wear black, which I know is not the home jersey, thank God. Whew. Yeah, jeez, man! Like it's, I, I'm sweating just talking about it. I don't, I don't want to tell you. But listen, we've uh, we have a lifetime of going to hot yeah. Dolphins games, and and you have a you know going to hot Hurricanes games and all this stuff. So it's Miami. People will get used to it. Yeah, you would think so. You'd hope so, right? Like we're, we we should have built up the tolerance by now. If you haven't. You've got a few months left to work on it before it gets to go to the, the beach. Scorcher. Get used to it. You know, like yeah, but you're not wearing clothing when you're at the beach. Well, that's true. That's okay, fair. Okay, it's yeah, a little breezy exactly. too, but you know. All right, so let's. <laughs> as we both take a swig of water because we're bad at radio, right? Um, let's go ahead and dive a little bit more into the roster of Inter Miami. If you listen to the podcast on Wednesday night, as my dog is making an appearance on this show again, she makes an appearance later, by the way. So take a look for that, right? Um, our resident mascot here at Magic City Soccer, which is Maggie the Maltese. Um, back to my main thought. The guys on Wednesday, if you followed the show, talked about you know the roster construction, and and they dabbled a little bit on some of the guys. They had AJ De La Garza on the defender, veteran defender in the MLS, did a great job asking questions. Although I felt like towards the end there, we got one more for you, AJ. AJ, we got one more for you. So I mean, maybe his nickname now should just be one more AJ, <laughs> right? Moving forward, but we're, let's dive a little bit more into this uh, into this roster. They talked a little bit about Will Trap, U.S. Men's National Team, and as I was hearing that conversation. You know, my head started spinning. Yes, it's a good marketing technique if they're willing to market it, as Drew was saying on Wednesday, uh, to that North Broward, Southern Palm Beach area, right? You get that intrigue now from the American Outlaws where, like, we've got one. We've got a U.S. men's guy here. Like, let's go. You know what I mean? Bring him in. Let's go. Let's feature him. And I think he would be really good in that holding midfield role. He's only 27 years old. He, is, he was the Columbus Crews captain for a few years there. He's got 20 caps for the United States of America, which, granted, hasn't been necessarily been playing their best in the last four to six years, which we don't have to tell you about. But this is a tried-and-true player. Like This is a guy who you bring into your club, and he makes things work. He makes things operate. Yeah, I think, in general, if, if you take like a bigger-picture view of the team, they've done a pretty good job of, of building... I guess, like, a team profile that you can see people getting excited about in Miami. Like, let's address the elephant in the room, first of all. People wanted, and they still want, a big player, right? Like, there's two DP spots that are open, and there's all these expectations for a world-class player. So, the first thing is acknowledging that we're... You know, that that part of the expectation that people have, and, and they have that because Inter-Miami... David Beckham and Jorge Mas and, and Paul McDonough have tried to make the point that we are going to be world-class and, and all of that. Um, and that has, in, in terms of the DPs, it hasn't happened. But if you look at the bigger picture, they are building, I think, a team that can compete and a team that appeals to South Florida. Because they're mixing, you know, it's this mix of veterans who know the league 
veterans who know competitions that they want to compete in, like the Open Cup and uh, the CONCACAF Champions League. And on top of that, you have these exciting young players that come from from countries like Argentina, and you have you have players that are sort of local or, mm-hmm. or certainly represented in Miami. You know, right. like uh, we have a Jamaican player in Alvis Powell, and uh, Ben Sweat is from from just like right uh, up the road, right up well, right up the road. We say that we say about Tampa, but basically, it's right up the road. Um, so I think that the, the profile of the team that that they're building is good, particularly I think the veterans, because what you need, especially in these expansion sides, is people who know MLS, who know these competitions, um, who can talk to the younger players and the players who are moving maybe to the United States to play in the league for the first time, like Lewis Morgan, um, and really get them sort of acclimated. And and so in the veterans we have. Like you mentioned, Will Trapp, who is, who is a veteran and is not even that old. No, he's, he's, he's on the right side exactly. of thirty. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, he's twenty-seven, and the good thing about some of these also is that you have the experience in the defense and in the midfield, right? So you have a strong core that can hold this team down. Um, Luis Robles in the back, uh, you know, Red Bulls captain, won a supporter shield with them. Uh, very few players have started as many matches in in MLS as uh, Luis Robles. He has the consecutive match starting right. record. I, I mean, probably Nick Romando would be one, and then uh, oh my god, I'm, it, the former U.S. Men's National Team goalkeeper. He's from Seattle. The white guy. He's bald. I, Casey is it Casey Keller? Uh God, no, I want to say not, I think yeah. it's, it might be around Casey Keller. Don't hate me, like I'm sorry, right? But like, these are the tweet only, us, tweet us the right answer. These, these are the only two guys that I feel like would be, you know, ahead of him on that Iron Man right. list. Um, and then you have you have these other guys like Lee Wynn is someone who knows the the league very well. Uh, almost 200 matches for the Revolution, 51 goals from a midfielder. Of course, you have. Uh, AJ, who, as you mentioned, we had on the other day, who played a ton of matches for the Galaxy and, and the Houston Dynamo, and it's players who have, you know, championship pedigree. Exactly, exactly. They have championship pedigree. They have, you know, they they know how you get to a supporters' shield. They know the consistency. They know what you do in the downtimes. Right. Um, and they also have it in them to win cups. They, right. They've been there before, and that's the most important part. You don't want guys who've never been there before anchoring your squad. You want guys who've been there. Right, right. Because very few teams in existence have had have done things to great success with guys that have never been there before. I can think of one. They also play in Miami, right? We'll get to them in a little bit. But yeah, that's just it's not the case, right? Normally, it takes guys that have been there before to kind of have that understanding when things get tough, when it's a deadlock match, and there's ten minutes left on the clock. Who's going to make the breakthrough? And it's normally one of these guys with an outlet pass, with a quick touch, with finding the streaking winger. And to be honest with you, all of these guys, yeah, they're over 30, but with that comes experience. You know what I mean? My only fear, my only fear, and, 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 and I'm going to be honest about it is when you have guys on the wrong side of 30 and you have them playing in 80% humidity nonstop, that's going to take a toll. So it's really up to that physical and strength conditioning department mm-hmm. with Inter-Miami to keep these guys 
on you know healthy and fit and ready to go because this is going to be a long season for them. This might be their longest season they've ever experienced because they've never been subjected to year. Well, by definition, it will be their longest. Uh... Okay, fair, right? <laughs> but but in terms of taking a toll, these guys haven't played in these conditions, right? And 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 to take something from college football, right? Like when you look at college football in the early two thousands and the late nineties, the reason why University of Miami was so great was because they trained in the humidity nonstop all summer. So when other teams would come down here to South Florida and have to play in that, they weren't used to it. They were dropping by the fourth quarter, right? They were dropping by the in, in soccer parlance, 75th minute, 80th minute. If we can get that to happen here, great. But it worries me, though, because we don't see that happening in Orlando. Right. We don't see MLS teams coming into Orlando and then dropping like flies in the 80th minute. Now, Orlando, yes, has had a lot of results come in the last 90th minute and an extra time. Is that part of the equation? It's possible. Right, I don't watch enough Orlando City soccer to know anymore. I will say there is a major part of that equation that plays into that, which is Orlando's crap. So <laughs> you have to, you have to, you know, you have to take certain things into consideration. <laughs> the, but something it's funny because you touched on on how difficult it might be for other teams and for them, and uh, just to to digress a little bit for a moment. Uh, this week, the the league approved, along with the MLS players, the new uh, collective bargaining agreement. Correct. And uh, that had... Well, we could do a whole other podcast oh, on God. that, basically. But one of the most important developments from that is that the league has gone from allowing a certain number, I think like four charter flights or something, a season to now requiring um, eight of them one way. And then I think the next season it increases to you have to take 16 charter flights. That's awesome. And and that will be, it'll be good for all the teams, but it'll especially be good for Miami. When you think of the distances that players from Miami might might have to go uh, to reach some of these other teams, especially in, in the cup or if they make it that far. Um, so it'll be a big benefit that they'll have access to, oh, to those chartered flights and they won't have to fly... You know, one one thousand percent because commercial flights. Right, you you know, it, it, in a way. So in a way, at the beginning stages of MLS, it, it, I can see it making sense, right? Because let's say you're a businessman and you're flying and you have season tickets to some of these clubs, and you're going to take an air. There's a chance you're on the same plane mm-hmm. with them, right? You could shoot the shit with them on a plane. You, it's possible, right? Now it's not so much, right? Where now. You have this new club coming in, and, and that might be that extra level of community reach that would really set this team apart. Where it's like, yeah, we're not advertising that you can fly like on, you know, Delta Airlines Flight 1404 with, you know, Inner Miami. No, like that's not going to be public knowledge. But if it so happened to me, that's a great experience yeah, for a fan. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Where, but at the same time, like, if you're going to be making treks cross country, those they got to be charter, right? Yeah. Every other league in this, you know, every other professional league, even the freaking college athletes are taking charter flights for the most part. You know what I mean? So if the fact that MLS is finally requiring now that it's no longer you can have up to four chartered legs. Now it's you're taking eight, if not more, if you want to. Exactly. That's good. This exactly. is what needs and to mo- happen. And, and importantly, I think part of that CBA um, uh, agreement is that you have to. I think once you're into the postseason, you're you're required to take all uh, chartered flights. Smart. So yeah, which is great. It's something that the right. teams absolutely need in those. You know, to, to just to imagine playing at that level, and with those expectations, and that you have to then run to the airport to hop on this on a commercial flight with a bunch of people. Yeah, 
it's amazing that they made it this far <laughs> you were, with those rules. You but know? It, that's been the same thing that a lot of people have thought about. Like, how is this possible? Like, it doesn't make sense for a league of this stature to be, you know, still making people fly commercial. Like, that's like the, ni- the 1960s, 1970s NBA teams. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, of then course, it, it's, you know, if they hope to bring stars over, and we've already seen this in MLS clubs, if you're a soccer player from anywhere else in the world, anywhere else... You have expectations. You got your own 737. Right? You know what and, I mean? And if Miami hopes to bring over some of these, you know, someone at the level of, of say, Edinson Cavani, you know, names that keep coming up like that, these are not players who are... <laughs> they're not going to be flying commercial to go play on turf somewhere. I, I agree. I agree. I'm going to tell you what. We, we touched on the veterans a little bit. And I... Don't ask me why. I don't think I have a rational argument for this. I really, really, really like this Lewis Morgan signing. Like, this might be my favorite signing so far, right? Because I think this is like the untapped potential signing where, like, this is the dude who's going to be making ESPN Sports Center highlights happen for this club. Like, he's either going to bury some great goals or he's going to make some great passes. And, like, to me, he's got that European experience. And the nice part about him is at age 23, I think he's going to come in with a little bit of cockiness. Right? And he's like, you know what? I'm coming to MLS. I'm coming to establish myself again. If I tear this league on fire, it's a win-win. Mm-hmm. It's a win-win for everybody involved with this. I, I think, honestly, before we've even played a match, I'm I, Lewis Morgan, this is my guy. This is who I'm backing to be. Like, the most dynamic player for Inter-Miami. Um, and mind you, you've got a lot of good guys on this roster, but... I'm looking at that one, and I'm like, that one. Give me that kit. I want that kit. We also we also heard, I think what's exciting about the mix of young, up-and-coming players with these veterans is that everyone, and also being an expansion side, right? Everyone is fighting for their place, right? So I'm sure, you know, you might have Luis Robles is, is the, the starting goalkeeper, but I'm sure that the philosophy at this moment is that no one was brought in as a starter, right? I'm sure Diego Alonso is, is figuring out his team now, and these young kids have an opportunity to go up against these veterans and make a case for themselves and say, you know, I deserve to be starting. And I and yeah. we and we we got a little bit of in, insight into that um, from AJ because uh, you guys they asked him that question and uh, about you know how it's how it's like with all these players trying to to get in, and he said. He basically indicated that it's tough and it's competitive, right? And that's what's happening. So uh, that's it'll what be it exciting to, be. to see which of these, uh, which of the younger players, manage to break through. So we talked about it, and I know that you know Matt spoke. Matt was at the press conference with uh, with McDonough. You were at the event at the Rusty Pelican a couple weeks back, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and and still, right? We we mentioned at the onset of this the whole designated player issue or problem. Is it a problem? No, not necessarily, but it's a problem of their own making, right? Because the conversation for the last four or five years that we've been at this has been, we're getting a guy. Like, we're getting a guy. We don't know which guy, but we're getting a guy. So, who's the guy? Because to me, I, I didn't follow the inception of Atlanta very closely. But when you look back now and you see Miguel Moron over at Newcastle and what Jose um, Joseph Martinez, sorry, mm-hmm. I don't call him Jose, sorry. <laughs> when you see Joseph Martinez and what he's been able to do, I don't remember the hype around those two. I don't remember it being to like, these are the guys that are going to put the world on fire for Atlanta. I think they started playing and you were like, oh shit, they're really, really good. I think they're the same profile. So I think that's, you know, like 
Julian Carranza is right. is like the Joseph Martinez or the Miguel Almiron. Those team, are big right? boots to fill. They're, but in, in terms of like, we're bringing in this young guy who did really good in his league, and we're going to see how well he can do here. But in terms of the other players that they talked up, you know, I think what they realized very quickly, because let's talk about the money aspect first. Right. It's, that's not really the problem, because between... Between, forget David Beckham, right? Between Jorge Mas and Marcelo Claudé and Masayoshi Son, they could buy, you know, they could buy Messi if they wanted to. The problem is, the problem is they're realizing how difficult it is first to get players to MLS, I'm sure. Right. And second is that we're at a moment, I think, in soccer, or in like top level soccer, in Europe at least, where there is a ton of competition, Right, we see it. You know, much bigger teams like Premier League teams, Spanish teams, are going are having trouble bringing in new reinforcements and finding players at good value, especially attackers, especially right. strikers, right? Because they're in demand, yep. right? And so you're an expansion team in MLS. I can understand. You know, you're going to have trouble bringing which, people in. Which, it, it highlights even how crazy the fact that Sebastian Giovinco was in MLS for as long as he was, making the money that he was making, and how good he was, right? Like, when you look at his performance and you tie it straight into the money, the efficiency is off the charts, right? right? To land a guy like that, to land a Joseph Martinez, that's the goal. That's the game changer. That's the winner, right? Because Carlos Vela, like, Carlos Vela was good before he came here. Like, LAFC knew what they were getting in Carlos Vela. Like, that's not, not a surprise, realistically speaking, right? Like, LA Galaxy was Latin. Like, you knew what you were getting, right? right? And I'm not saying that Julian and I'm not saying that, that Joseph Martinez came in as Zlatan or Carlos Vela because they didn't. But if one of these guys, if Julian is a Joseph Martinez, right, or a Carlos Vela, oh, shit. Like, we're doing really good here off the break. Right. And I think it, it might be... It could be, you know, if there there are still two DP spots open, right? So there's there's always the possibility that they could fill one or two of those up, and we've received some indications that they might mm-hmm. before the season starts. But if they don't, it might be a blessing in disguise because when you bring in one of these players, like um, you know, when Orlando brought in Kaká when they started, right, or when you bring in someone like uh, like Ibrahimovic. You end up having these players who are so good that you have to build the team around them. Correct. Somewhat. Correct. And I think Diego Alonso is a young, exciting coach. He's done really cool things abroad. Um, I think, well, we know because we saw that he embraces this challenge of having a team to build up from from quality players of different ages and I think if you get a, a squad that's playing cohesively and they know each other well, and there is not always that one focal point where, you know, you have to get the ball to this guy because he is the European star, it could end up being a blessing in disguise for for Miami. And um, I did want to touch on, because you mentioned that we had been at, uh, at the press conference. Go ahead. Uh, so we went to Diego Alonso's introductory press conference at the Rusty Pelican in Miami which is a beautiful venue to do that kind of press conference. Um, and there wasn't, there wasn't too much there that we didn't know. My main takeaway and what I thought was most interesting was how much they focused on all the trophies and not just MLS Cups, right? So there's a big push to make this a team that qualifies for and makes a run 
in CONCACAF Champions League, which so many times is seen a, a, as a competition where a lot of MLS teams, maybe they they play their reserves or they don't play a full team. Or they, or don't they get, get to the quarterfinals and get smoked. Exactly. Yeah, right. And so it's nice to see a coach giving it some importance. It'd be nice to have extra competitions to, to, to care about. And even the Open Cup, which, you know, MLS clubs routinely, almost exclusively win the Open Cup, but it's not something that's given uh, a lot of importance. And what I like so far that I've seen is that you have a, you have a coach, a sporting director, and an owner or owners who are hungry to bring in trophies. All right, and it's not just league trophies; it's any competition that they can compete in. Basically, so I'm going to ask you this because I wasn't there, and my head has been literally stuffed in law books for the last I don't know six months, right? Um, you know, duty breach causation damage, right? Like, I, I, that's what I can tell you off the top of my head, right? But with regards to this press conference, I, I think, and this is not skeptic, right? Um, they have to say that. They have to say that this is a club that's going to go play for CONCACAF Champions League spots. And that they're going to play for the U.S. Open Cup, though. One thing is saying it, and one thing is expressing it with intent and saying, no, 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 we're going to do this. Did you get that feeling like they're really going to do this? Or is this just what you have to throw on the wall because everybody else says it? So I get the feeling that they are... So first of all, I disagree that everyone else says it. Because, you know, you might say it if... There's, there's two different situations. You might say it if you're asked. Like if people ask you, you know, do you want to win everything? Well, yeah, obviously you want to win everything. They are leading from the front in terms of they are putting the marker down. Of this is what we want to do, and I think from a PR standpoint, there's a slightly there's a slight difference there between where you put your marker down and where you set people's expectations, and where other people ask you to set them. That's fair. And if you look at the roster again and the coach, you have players with Concacaf Champions League experience. You have a coach with Concacaf Champions League experience. So on its face, it would seem like this is something the club was already thinking through when they were bringing these people on. You know, one of the most recent players that is rumored to possibly uh, come in, Rodolfo Pizarro, um, who there may or may not be negotiations. No one knows. There's just a lot of rumors. He would be coming from, you know, the 2019 CONCACAF Champions League uh the winners, Monterrey. Winning team, Monterrey. Right. Uh, so I, it looks like they're targeting that experience. And they're targeting players who know how to compete in a cup competition in addition to a league competition. I, I think this next month is going to be interesting. Because I think at some point now with the formal announcement of Fort Lauderdale CF, um, now you have a situation where at some point they're going to have to make a distinction. They're going to say that there are guys who are going to be playing League One only. There's going to be guys jumping from League One to MLS. And you're going to have guys who you know aren't going to start every week. And you're going to have a group of guys. These are our core. We're playing them week in, week out, short of a knock or short of an injury. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how that develops, right? Because training is going on. Training's in full swing. These preseason games are going to be coming hard and fast now. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how this goes. There's still time. If I'm not mistaken, can they still make acquisitions? Or is the window closed? No, they can still, they, they right. can still make signings. Because MLS yeah. doesn't necessarily... You're right. They can't yeah. bring anybody from Europe because the Europe window's closed. Right. 
until the summer, but they can bring guys from North America, etc. Right, and free um, agents and stuff from Europe as well. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how it fills out. Are they done roster building? Maybe. Maybe they are. And you know but, what? I, I believe, sorry to interrupt you, I think, so European clubs, like let's say if some big DP was going to come from Europe, if I'm, if I'm not incorrect... They can leave the club. So those the, the clubs can sell. They just can't bring in any new players. Okay. So you can deregister a player. You just can't register a new okay, player. Okay, yeah. I mean, we're getting into the logistics yeah. of it, and I don't know it. I'm going to be honest <laughs> with you. As much as I want to say, Lee, football manager Lee, where are you? We, we need you. We need your... <laughs> we need your expertise on this, right? But let, let's drive down the turnpike, as a lot of people are going to do, because there's going to be a lot of people, believe it or not. There's going to be a cross-section of fans here. I think you're going to see a lot of people at Miami FC games that will end up on the Inter-Miami games, and a lot of people at the Inter-Miami games that will end up at the Miami FC games. I think it's inevitable, right? You're going to have that cross-culture. You know, yes, you're going to have a lot of people who won't go to both. You're going to, going to pick one or the other, but you're going to have a lot of people that are going to want to go with both, right? Because they're fans of the sport. That's what they want to see. Looking at the roster construction, some they touched on some of the guys already on Wednesday. You know, the Romario Williams, you know, the striking forward from the Charleston Battery who had 25 goals. You know, UCF product, again, from right up the road like Ben Sweat is, essentially. And, and you've got a lot of hometown guys coming back into this club, right? You've got Brian Silvestre, they talked about, born in Hollywood with the Haitian descent. Played at IMG Bradenton, you know, made his appearances for North Carolina FC. We saw him in NASL. We saw him again. You know, he's been in USL for the last couple, um, the last few stretches with a stint in Ford Madison in USL League One. But then you've got some of the newer guys coming in, like Vincent Bezacor and guys like Sebastian Velasquez. And the interesting part about Sebastian Velasquez is what I gather, there's a couple guys in that front office that really, really, really like this signing. And we gathered this from a meeting with them. We'll keep their names anonymous for now. But they really liked this signing. This was the one that they were like most, they were super pleased with. Like almost like, we can't believe we landed him. What's the story with Velasquez? We were talking about it a little bit before we pressed the record button. Um, what do you think it is? What's that, what's that whole saga? What's going he, on there? He has, so Sebastian has um, MLS pedigree, right? Like he's, he's played for Real Salt Lake. He's played for New York City FC. Um, and and was a decent player for them, and he he's always been this a prospect who makes a splash, right? Like he was back in the in our NASL days when Rio Oklahoma City was a thing. He was the the first player announced by by Rio Oklahoma City, right? And um, so what we do know recently about him is uh, he had a stint. He had like a short stint in South Korea. And uh, according to the recent report, so he had been at El Paso Locomotive, which... USL Championship. USL Championship. Richie right? Ryan's there, I think. Um, he had been at El Paso. He was trying to get a move back to his native uh, Colombia. And, and there was some issue there where it didn't work out. And then it didn't work out for him to return to, uh, to El Paso. And Miami FC did what they do so well, which is they swooped in. <laughs> they swooped in and they got him. And and speaking of speaking of what Miami FC does well, I, I was looking over their roster and taking notes for, for the podcast today. And what I love about Miami FC and what you always see reflected even when they rebuild their squads is they have a way of finding these young players who are exciting. A lot of them fit like stuff Florida profiles, right? Like they're either from countries that are represented here or they're local. They just do such a good job of that. 
and and it's not only that, right? They 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 get both sides right because they have they always they go for a team that you're like, well, obviously you're working on, you're trying to reflect the community in this, but then on the pitch it works out, right? Oh yeah, you, you just look at their trophies, and that's what I love about. That's my big takeaway. Looking at at the players who who come in, you know, like you said, Brian born in Hollywood, Haitian descent. Sebastian is uh, from from Medellin. You have other players from Latin America coming in. Uh, Romario Williams is uh, Jamaican, went to UCF right. in Orlando, and it's just it's great because they try to put together a team that gels culturally. I think as much as it does on the pitch, and we've seen that because we've we've been privy to like the relationship between the players and and how they like each other. Um, and so that's like my big picture view of of Miami FC's roster is that that process that they take towards uh, selecting these players. And the interesting part too about Miami FC's roster is um, it just seems to get younger and younger. It just yeah. every year that goes on, it just it seems to get younger and younger. And you know we've got our fingers crossed here at Magic City Soccer. There's one name on this sheet that we all want on this sheet, and it's not there yet. And and and. If you know who it is, you know who it is. And I'm not going to name names because I'm not putting any public pressure on anybody to ink a deal. Come on, Dylan. Sign again. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you look at this team. It's getting younger and younger. And and it's just it's got quality top to bottom, right? You look at the roster and you see where it is. And you, a lot of it is, as you mentioned, they're able to identify these guys that have such talent. And for some reason or another, just haven't landed on the radar with a lot of other clubs in their same, you know, kind of in their same atmosphere. You know, will MLS clubs go and, like, jump leaps over bounds to sign some of these guys? No, okay, that's fine. There is seems to be a, a, I don't know, there seems to be something in the air around MLS scouting departments where they're not willing to look deep enough for some of the talent that they should get. And you see it in MLS play where there's some guys on the pitch and you're like, what is he doing? Like, what? what? No, no, like, no, those, that's the wrong move over and over again, right? <laughs> And you don't see that, though, in USL. They're willing to take the chances on the guys, and when they work, they become special. When they work, they end up working more than anything else. But even more so than all of that, year after year with Miami FC, it's not just the talent. It's not just the community. It's that they're always a good group of guys. They're always a good group of guys. I, 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 don't, I can't remember one Miami FC player who has just... I've been like, I don't know, man. They, they've been very lucky. And again, you know, like... We don't know everything that's happening at, at the club, but between us, some of us know the players well. Um, we, we've, if not been in the locker room, we've, we've spoken with these players. And something that we've been very fortunate never to have with Miami FC is that locker room drama, right? Yeah. Like, it, it's not something that, that they've been known for. You don't see players get into it um, with, with each other on, on the pitch, which is... I mean, at the end of the day, it's something that you should say about every team, right. but you can't say it about every team. Um, and things do come out, and especially if, if you're in the know, um, these things come out. But I think every indication that we've had is Miami FC is good at building this culture and having the players together often and grow together. And um, it's like... you. You can't say that it's the, it's not reflected on the pitch because you see that trust between the players and it has contributed to the massive success that 
Miami FC has had. And as the weeks come on, we're going to definitely take some deeper dives into the Miami FC roster. You know, we were talking about it's finalized. They have a spring training schedule out already. You know, they're going to be playing some big games against Minnesota United just up the road, as we talked about on Tuesday, or as the guys talked about on Tuesday. There's going to be games really, you know, against some heavy level hitting competition, which is what they need to do here as they get ready for their season, just kicking off and really less than almost a month, just about a month's Mm -hmm. time, give or take a few days. So it's going to be interesting to see, obviously, as the reports come out, you know, we've got it here first. And another thing that we're following really closely down here is there's a lot of developments going on in lower league soccer down here and at the very grassroots basic level. Uh, And that being that a lot of clubs are jumping ship from the UPSL. UPSL finals are taking place this weekend, the national finals at Barry University you have time go on out lee Fence is going to be on the call with the upsl kind of plucking one of our very best and, and he's mike, honestly mike Kuju, right people right. can watch people can watch it on mike Kuju. you know lee might be under the radar one of the best broadcasters uh available in lower league soccer uh i say that i say that 100 percent from the bottom of my heart not just because he's a great guy but i think the talent is there and passionate and knowledgeable and passionate just, knowledgeable. just, just putting that out there because, because we've we've heard we've heard some other uh <laughs> lower league commentators right we, we've heard it you know <laughs> what i mean and it's not an easy job i've done it you know i've been alongside him on the color side i've done play-by-play in his absence and it's not easy especially with some of these team sheets that are incomplete and the numbers are swapped and we get the messages on the back end yo you kept calling me so and so and my name is this and it's like well I mean, go tell your manager, bro. I don't know how to help you, right? <laughs> so it's going to be a good shout. But but with with that, there is some 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 turbulence down here with the UPSL. You know, clubs like Red Force FC are leaving over to the NSL, uh, and, and that's the National Soccer League. And if you don't know who the National Soccer League is, I'm here to tell you now that the National Soccer League is a national league that's making a grabbing a foothold here in South Florida and we were good enough or we were actually lucky enough to spend some time with a representative of the NSL uh Miguel Romero and let's hear what he had to say Well we're pleased to be joined by Miguel Romero uh representative here of the NSL Florida division if you haven't heard of the NSL, well, that's the National Soccer League, and it's the newest face to enter the South Florida market. Uh, Miguel, thank you for coming on with us. Thank you for your time. How are you doing today? I'm on. How are you? I'm doing well. Yourself? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for asking. So talk to me a little bit about this NSL. A lot of people have been asking us questions on the side. Who is the NSL? What's going on behind the scenes? And a lot of times, you know, people come to us for answers. And to be honest, we don't have it. So we're going to let you guys hear it straight from the horse's mouth. So, you know, as best you can, tell us a little bit about what the NSL is all about. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for having us in mind and, and you know, trying to get those answers out to, to the people that want to know about the league. Um, practically, NSL, National Soccer League, is a, a national league around already in other states um but it had not been here in florida and we decided uh to bring in me myself um which is a league that that is going to be practically for the teams you know something that that uh, me as a team owner um of miami soccer academy i know what the struggle is and and the money that, that we have to come out of pocket to to make this teams run that we're never going to get in return so practically, the league is economic for every uh, every team to be able to, um, you know, stay stay in with, um, and to have a, a national uh, base uh, organization. You know that you could uh, qualify to U.S. Open Cup as well, have players register with U.S. Soccer, 
So when it comes time to sign a player to a professional contract, at least you get that merit of saying, you know, my team, my, my that player came out of my team and it's on paper. Right, because as of right now, U.S. soccer doesn't recognize solidarity payments for the most part. You know, if a club goes, if a if a player does go international, then sometimes you kind of get the inkling where it does trickle down. You've seen it in the cases of Christian Pulisic and a couple of the other guys coming out of the Seattle area. But for the most part, please correct me if I'm wrong. Any player that's signed from a youth academy or has essentially like the discovery rights in, uh, in terms of MLS, the lo- the local youth academy, the team that has or the club that has. Um, train that product doesn't get anything in return, correct? I mean, just just it's really hard just to to even get money for a rookie. You know, uh, me as an agent myself, we sign a few players to USL and MLS contracts, and and it's it's almost impossible to get money out of a rookie um, in the United States. You know, if you send them out maybe to a bigger country uh, like Colombia and, and some of the you know. Uh, countries in South America, you will get money out of them. But like I said, sometimes it's 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 you'll see that money maybe in the second, third year, not the first. Yeah, sounds good. Um, so what makes the NSO a little bit different than some of the leagues that have come through South Florida in the past? Uh, I think the the biggest difference uh, is that practically the league is for the teams, so it's 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 focused on the teams, um, keeping the budgets down, um, and working with the teams. Um, to be able to make happen, you know, um, there's a lot of leagues that practically just for the benefit of the league and uh, don't actually uh, listen to what teams are asking for or the struggles that we're going through, you know, um, especially uh, a lot of small teams like us here in South Florida. It's 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 a big budget that we got to cover, you know, and um, if we don't, if, if it's a team that doesn't have that many sponsors, then they're going to be struggling. So I think that's going to be a, a the major and and uh, the biggest um, aspect that is practically driving uh, teams to NSL. As you've said, you're an agent here locally, so you understand the talent and the hotbed that South Florida is. You know, produces a lot of talent nationwide, worldwide, and and a lot of it kind of goes unnoticed from the upper tiers of different pyramids. Um, with regard to some of the leagues in the past, especially like the APSL and currently now the UPSL, which you guys are in direct competition with for these lower league clubs, if you're pitching this league to other club owners nearby and you're trying to tell them, hey, you know, you need to come this way, we're set for you, what's the selling point then? If, if you have another club owner listening to this episode today and, you know, kind of on the cusp, they want to take their team to UPSL or, you know, they're kind of going back and forth, what's the selling point? What's the sticking point? What can you offer that nobody else can? To tell you the truth, um, as an agent, I've experienced that if the team, the player is not playing in a, in a professional league, uh, it's not going to make a difference, you know? To them, a uh, lower league, uh, it's not. It's not gonna. It's not gonna change the aspect of it. So practically, what I'm trying to do is now I'm. I'm I want to share my contacts when I bring scouts, when I bring professional teams. They're not gonna only see players from my team, but they're gonna be able to see players from the entire conference um, to be able to help and span and, and get all these uh, athletes out in, in, in professional teams. So it's not just gonna be my team. It's gonna be be every, everybody else in the conference. Um, so that's practically what I'm trying to bring to the uh, South Florida Conference. You know, just just a path for those players, and uh, for us to become united. Uh, just not 
Red Force or Miami United or Miami Soccer Academy or so forth so on. But now we're South Florida, you know, we're, we're putting something together for everybody. Right. You've mentioned some of the bigger names now that have transitioned over to the NSL and the recent signings that have come in. We've seen the headlines. We've retweeted it on Twitter, um, you know, definitely letting the public know where these clubs are moving to. Uh, what's going to be the structure of the season here in 2020? Are we looking at kind of that old and true model that we've seen in South Florida, the fall and spring? Are we looking at one long regular season and then into a national playoff? Or what can people expect? We're going to have uh, two seasons. Um, and Practically, it's going to be about five to six months long. Uh, the games are going to be played every other week so that we keep the expenses on the clubs uh, short. And um, and teams will be able to travel and compete against other teams in South Florida, which is, it's, to me, is very important as well. Uh, just not compete against your usual local teams, you know. you got to get there out there and, and compete against other teams and, and, and be able to see what other teams have and, where your talent of of your team stands absolutely i can't agree more in a perfect world granted this is a hypothetical so things don't usually pan out the way we want them right such as life um how many teams are we looking at how many clubs are we looking at participating in the 2020 nsl season and you know how long of a season really are we looking here in terms of how many games per each side uh right now there's eight teams that are already confirmed um uh and registered and there's about, we have a list, uh, I'll probably say six, seven more teams that are pending um, to to practically get approved and get registered. Um, obviously, our time is short. Uh, we're kicking off already uh, the first week of March. So th- we will leave a lot of teams out. They're going to have to join in um, to the next season. So for those that are new to the podcast and, and they're new to lower league soccer here in South Florida, if I'm not mistaken, I believe there is a streaming requirement along with these games, right? You're going to have these games on the internet? Correct. Um, one of the requirements is that each team must must uh, uh, live stream and have uh, commentators for two of their home matches. Um, that being said, I think it will be able to be a tool for teams and, and be able to get fans out and know your players' names a little bit about your team, where they're coming from, and and just give them more of a professionalism to uh, lower league. Absolutely. And I'll definitely let you go on this one here, but a quick question. So if you've got a player, independent guy coming to the area, probably played you know junior college somewhere, coming out of university, looking for a place to land, are we sticking with an old and true system of find the club that works best for you, or is the NSL going to offer some kind of feeder program allowing you know maybe a free agent pool in a sense where clubs can go ahead and, and see who's available and bring them in on tryout and see whether or not they stick, uh, or is it you know like normal traditional find a guy, develop a guy, roster a guy, have him go on? What we will be doing incorporating is we're going to have a, a practically like a NSL. Um, game where players could come and try out and other teams uh coaches will be uh there and they could just pick and and um and practically talk have a direct talk with the players um i think like that we we actually keep uh every team with with high uh performance players and and everybody a chance and you know it will be we'll take it from there Miguel, I appreciate your time. Um, you know, I know our definitely our readers and our listeners are eager about the NSL. We've gotten the questions come in. If they're looking for NSL content or they're looking to connect with the league, where where could they reach out to? 
they could reach out to any of the social medias. Um, we have the NSL uh, FL, which is the Florida Division, NSL Florida on Twitter, and uh, NSL Soccer League, which is the actual national uh, uh, Twitter and, and uh, Instagram account. Awesome. Miguel, thank you again so much for your time. I hope you have a great day. Thank you. Likewise. Have a good one. So those were Miguel's thoughts on the NSL. And, and as you can see, this is a new development coming in here with the league. Um, it, it seems to be a league that's going to be much of, it's going to put the cl- emphasis on the clubs first. It's going to, looks like it's going to try to bring costs down, which is something a lot of leagues were complaining about. But one of the nice things that the NSL is trying to do is they're requiring a stream on at least two of the home matches for every club. So even if you're a club that doesn't stream very often or ever at all, you're going to have to do it now. So that, that helps. You know, raise the profile of certain mm-hmm. players and bringing it in. I asked him a question about free agency and kind of muddled the waters there a little bit for him. And, you know, I apologize to him for doing that. But, it, you know, it is important because guys who are JUCO transfers, guys who are lower, you know, playing in, in, in uh, sorry community colleges or in universities and don't end up getting a sniff anywhere, that's where they end up going. They end up going to these local grassroots clubs and try to build themselves up. And if they don't know a club, at least now there's going to be a system in place where they can try out. All the different coaches will be there and then make their selection from there. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to, you know, it's a shame that every every season it seems like you have all this uh, movement in the lower leagues, especially when you have some of these teams in Miami have, have been around for a while, you know, in, in terms of lower league teams like Red Force and stuff. And you'd like to see these stick around and you know not this is a a a huge topic that could also serve for for another podcast but before we finish and since we're talking about the lower leagues obviously this week um there was a, a decision if you haven't heard of this miami fc owner ricardo silva and um another club i think kingston kingston stockade yep had lodged a lawsuit against U.S. soccer in the Court of Arbitration for Sport, which is basically like the world's Supreme Court for sports stuff. Yep. Um, They had lodged a complaint to force promotion and relegation in uh, U.S. soccer. And that's obviously a whole convoluted topic. But after, after nearly two and a half years in the Court of Arbitration for Sport in Switzerland, there was reports this week because we haven't gotten the full decision yet but there was a a report by i think a a new york times uh journalist who said that the court had decided uh that it's basically within within fifa's rights uh, i guess to allow countries to to determine whether or not they have promotion and relegation um essentially the decision makes it so that there's not going to be any forced promotion and relegation anytime soon uh fifa is not compelled to do it so obviously mls and these other leagues are are not right compelled to do it right so fifa as the governing body for the global game of football uh can decide when their statues are interpreted and how they're interpreted and if one nation feels that they want to do things one way per an interpretation of a fifa statute and fifa feels like it's in the best interest of that to happen they can let it happen. And if right. FIFA wants to drop the hammer, they're allowed to drop the hammer. So FIFA doesn't really lose any power in this decision. And I think at the same time, it also doesn't hamstring them. And then a lot of it, I look at it once I was kind of reading the opinion um, and, and what came out. Um, or at least, the, you know, what was reported about what the, came the out. The excerpt that we saw, basically. Right. 
It, it really seems like that. I think it seems like, you know, CAS, I'm not saying that they went to FIFA and said, hey, what do we do here? Not not saying that at all. But I think they looked at it and they said, do, do we want to force a governing body to have to interpret their own rules a certain way? Or they should they be free to do how they would, you know, do however it is that they would normally operate? Um, and I think that's been the big thing there. I think the, the lawsuit was always a long shot. Um, I think we know that. Um, you you know, called it because actually I was doing some research on this because it, it was so long that since right, two and a half years you, you called it a hail mary pass basically yeah, for was. promotion and relegation it was and, and is, yeah and I remember when I wrote an article on Magic City Soccer and you're gonna have to go into the archives to grab it um, that is that's where I read it and I, as a side note we have I just thought this was funny yeah I screenshot it but there's a it's like when you look up I looked up CAS or, or something yeah. uh, Magic City Soccer and you it's like Magic City Soccer lawsuit archive and it's like the most miami thing you can't run like a soccer outlet in miami without no. having a, an archive of all the lawsuits that you've covered you know for various teams and, yeah, and... i mean i've been let me tell you my legal research started <laughs> way before law school clearly um but no it's one of those things where um this was again it was always a hail mary pass and and, and back then when i wrote the article uh the united states was still in the bidding process for the world cup and i remember thinking to myself like, I know this is my club, and this is the club that, that, that we're covering, but ooh, this is going to be a hard pill to swallow. The United States loses the World Cup bid because of one club right. in, the, in that, in that or, country. Or the opposite. Or they, they could have been compelled to do it, you know? Because right, right, we, right. MLS was born, in a way, out of that World 94 Cup. World Cup, yeah, exactly. absolutely. So, and the need for a first division in the right. country to host a World Cup, absolutely. So, I was looking at it, and I remember when I wrote the article, you know, it pained me to write some of what I was writing because, you know, do I believe in promotion and relegation? Yes. Am I a huge promotion and relegation zealot? No, right? Like, I understand what we're dealing with in this country. Is it possible? Yes. Is it going to happen tomorrow? No. Should it happen in the next six months? Arguable, right? Because I see the economic aspects, and I'm not going to go into that because I don't want to open this podcast to no. that, especially no. as we're trying to wrap up. We got a hundred tweets. Right, 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 we got a hundred <laughs> tweets. Oh, that Omar Mubai guy—he's a fucking dickhead. Like, you know, he's he's for pro row, and he's a piece of shit because blah blah blah. Or then it'll go the other way. We're like, oh, that guy's a fucking idiot. He's a fucking MLS shill because he doesn't think pro row should have like like. I'm literally telling you that like I see the good in it, and I also see the opposite of it, and I see why people are against it, especially the ones with in the game right with the hundreds of million dollars in it so i i get it you know what i mean um would it have been nice it would have been nice would it have been a like a tsunami a tsunami like the one that we avoided thank god last week in the offices yes right but yeah it, it would have been interesting it would have been really weird it would have been cataclysmic you know what i mean for for lack of better words yeah it would have been a massive change and i'm sure that that played into it too you know like the the court of arbitration for sport and fifa have no interest <clears throat> making a wave like that, right? Right, yeah, for sure. It's the kind of decision that you would rather you would rather hand off to to FIFA or, or lesser parties because you're just not going to shake up a, a major country's. Uh... And you know what? The way it's been looking, Miami FC wins everything anyway. Five thirty eight just put out a report today saying that Miami FC is likely and has the highest percentage chance per their index and their statistical model of winning the Eastern Championship and then facing, I think it was Phoenix uh, in the USL Cup. Go win two USL Cups in a row and then go to Don Garber's office and say, here, tell us now that we can't get in because let me tell you, we've won everywhere. We've won every freaking place we've played. It's our time to get We'd a shot. We'd love a Miami Derby. Wouldn't we in MLS? You can give us, you know what, you can do two, uh, two New York teams, two, uh, two New Jersey teams, or sorry, not New Jersey teams. <laughs> 
Sorry, it's a New York team and a New Jersey team, if Correct. we're being honest. And two LA teams. Two LA teams. And you can do two Miami teams. And two yeah. teams in Texas. Why not? And, and two Texas and four, teams. I think, is it, I think we're up to four teams in California. You have both yeah. LA's and San Jose. No, three. three. Sacra- Sacramento. With Sacramento now right. with the bid getting four. It's doable. Should they? We'll see. This is all just fantasy. Yeah, this is all fantasy. Like, we're going to flood the market, point. but that's good. All right, guys. So, we just want to thank you very much for joining us today in this impromptu podcast. We want to let you know that we're still alive. Lee, Matt, and Drew have not locked us in a corner somewhere, locked us in a closet, and said that we can't come out. We're still here. We're still kicking. We're active on social media, right? We're running things behind the scenes for the most part, while the other guys are are very nice enough to take the flag and lead it forward. But don't think you're going to go months again without hearing from either of us. Abel, my friend, it's always a pleasure. Tell the people where to find you. Find me at Miami Abel, A-B-E-L, on every form of social media, possibly even on TikTok now. On TikTok? <laughs> Everything. All the social media at Miami Abel. Right, not to run this any longer, but I, I, was, <laughs> I was telling my wife the other day that that's it. Once uh, Snapchat was my cutoff. Everything that came in after Snapchat, <laughs> I stopped using. I'm now. too old for now. I see what my parents feel like. Like, I get it. All right, I've been Omar Mubayid. You can find me on Twitter at Mubayid11. And obviously, you can find Magic City Soccer at Magic City Soccer on Twitter. Facebook.com slash Magic City Soccer on Instagram. Check out our Instagram. Throw us a follow if you haven't. At Magic City Soccer. Magic City Soccer Montana. I sent you a message. If you're we listening, both, come on, Magic City Soccer like, in Montana. Let's go. You haven't posted anything in about four years. Let's, 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 come on, hand over the reins. Let's go. All right, guys, we're going to sign out. We're going to land the plane as it's typical for everybody else. Go Miami FC. Go Inter Miami. Go UPSL National Finals. Go Miami Soccer. Thanks, guys.